welcome to Staffing Stories, hosted by Andy Moss. Andy has been in the staffing industry for over 25 years, first as a recruiter, then eventually an account manager and business owner. This is the podcast where we sit down with fellow staffing owners to get the real stories of the successes, the failures, and the lessons learned along the way. Welcome back to uh, Staffing Stories. It's Andy Moss, and I'm your host, and we are on episode 28. And it's amazing that we've got this many episodes under our belt, and I'm excited about our next guest, Kara Rogan, CEO of of CoWorks. And I'm happy to have you, and welcome aboard for kicking off the first um, April. And, you know, what a better way to do it. Thank you for having me, Andy. I'm happy to be here. Well, Kara, today we're going to talk a little bit about sales and I'm you know, fascinated with your background because you have a ton of experience in that. But before we jump into that, kind of introduce yourself to our listeners. I know a lot of people may know you, but just, just tell us who you are. Sure. I'm Kara Rogan. I am the CEO at Cowork Staffing Services and our family of brands. I started my career uh, in 2001 uh, in a sales role. Uh, with a Deco Group, and uh, had a great, great few years there, and have been with CoWorks for 18 years. Okay, so did you you were hired in as sales? So did you ever run like a recruiting desk, or did they say, hey, they target someone in sales and just got you? So when I started first in my career, yes, I started in a sales uh, only role, and okay. I did that for a period of time. And then quickly uh, actually got into branch management where I was overseeing the whole operation. So I was never in uh, a recruiting capacity myself, but uh, very early on in my career was responsible for that. Okay. That's, you know, that's an interesting tis, uh, twist for some of us in ownership and like, you know, running businesses like we do. But most models, they we hire a recruiter, the recruiter gets promoted into sales and then sales and the management. Um, and I, I, I love the fact that an agency said, okay, we need sales. Let's go get a sales professional. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that, I guess what Ron said, did that with you and it's worked out marvelous. I, I always question myself, should we just get a salesperson or should we, re, you know, promote a recruiter into a sales role? Cause those are two different, two totally different roles. Well, interestingly, uh, early, early on in my career, my first staffing job, I had never even heard of uh, a deco or staffing or, or I just needed a job and yeah. I graduated college and didn't want to live with my parents anymore. <laughs> so I took, no uh, I took a sales role. I'd never sold a thing in my life. Um, I was terrified of it. I uh, had some success uh, pretty early on. I was kind of fearless back then. And uh, I think the reason why I ended up then still in a sales capacity, but, you know, overseeing the whole operation, including sales, uh, was because they had a need. And uh, I was, it's one of those tales where someone's doing something well, let's give them more to do, even though they have no real experience in that. Um, So it's, uh, you know, trial by fire, right? So that's how I started. You learn a lot. You learn a ton that way. Made a lot of mistakes too. (laughs) And I think that's something we we can't overlook. Anytime you move up through an organization is it's okay to make a mistake. You know, you learn that way. 
um, I tell my young leaderships like, look, there's nothing you can do that we can't overcome as long as it's ethical and morally right. I said, there's nothing we can't fix. So just go out there and, you know, try to conquer the world, but we'll, we'll be okay. Cause everybody's usually afraid to make some mistakes. It's like, don't worry about that. That was probably part of my problem is I wasn't afraid back then. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. <laughs> yeah. It, it was a lot of fun. Uh, it was the early 2000s and, and I had a great time back then. So what characteristics do you like to see in young professionals in the sales world? Sure. Well, the first thing we look for um, when we're hiring for sales, whether they've had experience or not, some positions where we are uh, also okay with bringing in entry-level salespeople, we'll train you, is really about track record and decision-making. So, you know, our interview style goes all the way back to, you know, high school. We we um, use top grading, and uh, that's something that we uh, did as an organization years ago, and it has still stuck, because um, it's really about you know, decisions you've made in your career um, or even even before um, during your education um, and, and follow through and and work ethic. Um, those are very important to us. Well, I, I something that I like to see along with what you just said is confidence. And I talk mm -hmm. about that is, you know, you got you can't be scared um, either recruiting or not. Just you know, just have some confidence. And I've seen that deteriorate. A little bit and some of the college kids coming out and i'm trying to figure out why that is um but it's it's a characteristic that i think is very you know needed in our industry mm -hmm. absolutely especially in sales yes so i one thing let's talk about i love women in leadership and i know you're passionate about that um and you know we just came out of a, a women's month and i just i would love to know your story because you have moved up the ranks, guys, girls, anything, just you, you have worked your way to the top and I, I commend you for that, but just kind of tell us a little bit of that story. Sure. Um, well, like I said, I was uh, hired at CoWorks uh, almost 18 years ago and I was uh, overseeing uh, a small area uh, back then. And through the years, had great leadership and opportunity afforded to me. Um, the company was really uh, transforming and growing, and I was fortunate to be here at that time and also certainly contributing to that. Um, our areas uh, of responsibility kept growing and growing and growing, um, took on more of a corporate role um, throughout the years as well, and, and having some oversight over different corporate departments. I, I've held a lot of a lot of roles that co-works, but always, always sales and operations has been at the forefront of what I've uh, had success with. And it, it is very rare to see someone grow from, you know, where I have been at the at the company and just overseeing a few branches to um, eventually becoming the COO and then now the CEO. Um, it, it's unusual. It's really been an honor. Uh, we're a women owned company. And, and to have this opportunity afforded to me is is really been uh, unbelievable. So going from COO to CEO, um, that's a that's a I'm gonna say a huge leap. But that is, you know, okay. Now you go to the big time. You're now overseeing. And how many offices do you all have? Sixty locations in the 60 U.S. Locations. So yes. that's not a small undertaking. 
and you had to go through COVID with 60 locations. <laughs> so, you know, tell me a little bit about that. Cause we I had mean, more back then, but we I, were operating more efficiently today. Well, that's, that is great. But I'm sure that COVID stories are in your, you know, market of um, light industrial and stuff like that. I mean, that that's probably an amazing story. Yeah, I, I, um, I mean, going from COO to COO hasn't. It, it certainly is uh, a change. There's, there's no question. Um, but I feel like in my old role, uh, I was overseeing, you know, so much of the business already, and working so closely with our CEO at that point. Um, and, and that came through COVID. We worked very closely together, so that relationship was building. Um, you know, for him to trust me, uh, to give me that enhanced, you know, the role of CEO late last year, um, just came from our performance of how we did through COVID and then yeah. beyond. We've had uh, several great years, uh, including 2020. 2020 was a successful year for our company. Well, that's good. How, um, how do you balance family and leadership? <laughs> I don't know what the secret is there. I don't, <laughs> I don't have all the answers. Um, I do have um, some, you know, general rules around my personal time. Um, unless it's a real emergency, um, I, I really uh, allow uh, protected time for myself yeah. and, and for my family, of course. And, you know, I'm at a point where I can do that. So uh, that's, that's, wasn't always that way. Um, I also think on the flip side of that, that we as leaders need to be respectful uh, of our employees' mm -hmm. uh, personal time as well. And that's really, you know, ingrained in our culture uh, at our company. I know some leaders love to email weekends, nights, questions or whatever. And I try to be one of those that's like, look, I know if I start sending emails, they're going to start thinking, I don't want this. Uh, yeah, I, I want them to have that time with their family because I want that time with mine. Yes, exactly. I wouldn't exactly. bother, but, you know, business is business. We are, we're always on, especially in our industry. Yes, yes. So our industry, Nat, this is a big question that I, with 3DIQ, we've tried to tackle is taking a, a great candidate that may be your candidates that you're not placing and placing them in opportunities. Does your organization um, look at that or grade your candidates to say, okay, I'm taking my top ones to the jobs we have open, but we have a database full of individuals that may, we don't have a job for, but how are we pro-marketing them? How do you all do that? Well, that is an, that is a challenge um, for us today. And it, it's, less about where we have opportunities because we have an abundance of opportunities even right now. Yep. It's, it's really database management, um, you know, and how do you keep up and keep the, those people engaged and, um, you know, continuous, continuing to engage with your, your staff. And um, there's thousands of people in our database that yep. we lose track of yep. Um and technology should be able to help us with that. And it does to a degree, but even that has uh, posed some difficulty for us. So that's actually something that we're focusing on this year is making sure that now that, you know, the, you know, the, uh, the time after COVID where we had an abundance of opportunities that we're not just, you know, kind of processing everybody and putting them out to work, that we are engaging with our entire database in a meaningful way because there's so much opportunity in the folks that came in, you know, six months ago. They could be at a different point in their life and uh, they could have also gained some more skills that where we could now put them at a different opportunity that we may not have been able to in the past. It's, it's kind of funny, like, 
European staffing markets <laughs> take great candidates and pro-market them to clients. They don't work off of a job. And then U.S.-based companies do most of their sales off of a job order. And they don't do what you're so it's like if both of them can, you know, learn from each other, it's just kind of a um I it baffles mine because I mean in my company I talk to my recruiters all the time. It's like, give me 10 people that you've talked to this week that are just great that we don't have a job mm -hmm. for because what's the easiest way to get a job order is send them great candidates. So that's uh you know what we try to do. And I and I know most people like in your leadership are trying to figure that out because there are we don't put 99% of the people in our database to work. It's just that one position that we're working on that we put. Right. And how can we make that work for us? I think where we have success with that mostly is in an area of our business where we have great diversity with our customer base. So we've got, you know, many, many clients uh, in different industries, and it allows for us to be able to do that. I think where we struggle is in, you know, there could be a, a, a different geographic area where we have one or two large customers. Um, so you're constantly working on, you know, the same sort of skill set, the same position, and that's where you lose the ability to, you know, sort of skill market people. Uh, we do it very well in our more transactional, yeah. um, smaller customer base uh, part of the country. Well, that's, um, these are great topics in your, I guess, role. Do you mentor any like up and coming leadership? Do you really, I mean, like to do that? I mean, is that something that you focus on? Yes. Within our company and externally, um, I just got involved, uh, with the mentor mentee program through the ASA. So it's my first yeah. year I have, uh, two mentees. So that's okay. uh, just started. So it's it's three months in. And then within our own company, we do have a program. We call them um, uh, coach slash mentor. And we yeah. and we really enhanced that program over the last couple of years. It's been wildly successful to our new hires. That's one thing that um, I think gets overlooked. It's not training. It's just you're a mentor. You're just walking alongside someone young in their career and, you know, trying to help them. OK, when they do make mistakes, it's OK. And or you just guide them. Don't, you know, don't do this. Cause I've done that. And this is, you're going to see this outcome if you do that. I think uh, people need a safe space too, to be able to have that kind of dialogue that, uh, you know, you're, you're feeling safe admitting that maybe you need help with something or you you're nervous or you've made a mistake and need advice. So that in itself is, is really crucial. Well, if you can break down the walls, like, look, I'm not the CEO. I'm just, I'm, I'm at your mentor here. And if you take that rank off and then they just start talk to you like human, then it's great. But some people can get very intimidated because they're talking to upper le leadership. And it's like, look, how do we, you need to just look at me as Kara. Not, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I understand what my title is, but just what can I do to answer questions for you? Yes, definitely. And that's been, um, the way it's been with the ASA, um, both of the mentees that I've uh, been working with are not within my organization. They're they're with with other companies. So it takes sort of that my title out of it. Um, and we're just two professionals having a conversation. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for being on this podcast. I just love to hear your story. And, you know, always in in the podcast basket. OK, if you're streaming Prime, Netflix, Hulu, what's your show? <laughs> um, well, I actually just finished White Lotus, the second season. Um, okay. That is was so phenomenal. I loved it. Um, 
I I kind of go in waves with what I'm watching because I'm one of those people that um, I can't stop. So it'll be three o'clock in the morning <laughs> and I'm still watching. So I'm very cautious when I get into a new uh, a new program. But I uh, am embarrassed to admit as well that I am an absolute Bravo junkie. So I watch all those shows. Okay. <laughs> well, Bravo's a new one. We haven't had that one brought up. So that's yeah, yeah the Bravo network and all it's all reality TV. It's it's yeah. it's terrible, but I I love it. <laughs> it's it's okay. It's our secret. <laughs> yeah. Until it isn't our secret. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well thanks so much for being on and um you're doing an awesome job and thank you yeah, for I having me. Encourage you to keep keep doing it. Blaze that path. Thanks Thank you, Andy. It was a pleasure. All right. The Staffing Stories podcast is brought to you by 3DIQ, founded by recruiters for recruiters. 3DIQ's industry-leading product suite complements your submission process in Bullhorn from start to finish and helps you deliver a cutting-edge customer experience. Triple your placements with our powerful resume submission platform, candidate marketing, and client portal. Visit 3diq.com stories to learn more.